Praise the Lord, everybody. So great to be back here with the great people of God and so great to actually be with Pastor this time. He was out of town last time I was here, but he's got to sit through it this evening and it's an honor to be here with him. Now, I'll say in my defense that when I gave the media team what I felt like I was going to be preaching, I warned them that I'm prone to go a different direction depending on how the service goes. So I let them know that up front so it's not legally binding, but it feels like it's still Pentecost Sunday around here tonight. My God, I feel the spirit of God is here tonight. God is here tonight to manifest himself, to do the impossible, to do the supernatural. Why don't you just release your faith right now? Expect God to do something extraordinary in this service today. Whatever you desire to do, God, have your way. Do your will. Do your will. There's a spirit of revival in this house today. God wants to breathe. God wants to breathe into minds and spirits and lives here today. There's a spirit of revival, and I believe that's the direction God would have me to go in in this service here today. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll skip down and read 7 through 10. That's my concession to the media team. I give them all the scriptures up front. That way I'm not making them keep up with me. But once again, I do want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Hughes and the leadership here, this great church, and just a great privilege to be back with you here. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel is relaying for our benefit a vision that God a powerful vision that God has given him, and I believe it's something that speaks volumes to all believers as to what the Spirit of God is able to do in our lives as, as individuals. Ezekiel 37, 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Skipping down to verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. And finally, verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. It's impossible to read this and not be struck by the totality of what happened there, what God did here, that they were they went from being scattered, things missing, things haven't been ravaged by scavengers in time, to being put back together, but but not just put back together, but put back together as an army. And not even just as an army, but as a great army. And not even just as a great army, but as an exceedingly great army, from a pile of scattered bones to an exceedingly great army. I wanted from this passage of scripture here I want to preach here a simple subject, two laws of revival. These are two concepts that 
are illustrated here that I believe are eternally true when radical revival is going to take place. Two laws of revival. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your presence that we feel in this house. God, I ask you now for these next few minutes. God, anoint my mind, anoint my spirit. Give me your words to speak to the hearts and minds of your people. God, do what you will in this service. Speak to our minds. Speak to our spirit. God, let your word be a living word that will take root in our hearts and in our minds and produce life in the days and the weeks and the months to come. And we'll be careful to give your name the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. I tell people all the time that personal revival has become a great passion of mine, that I speak and teach and write about personal revival at this point in my ministry probably more than any other single subject in my ministry. But I believe that my passion for personal revival comes from such a need that I see for personal revival. Because as I travel... I'm in different churches just about on a weekly basis. I'm talking to different pastors on a weekly basis. I'm talking to different saints of God. Some have been walking with God for decades on a weekly basis. I'm talking to different people. And it seems like no matter where I go, no matter who I talk to, that there's an unprecedented attack against the minds and the spirits of the people of God. And that even in the house of God, that people are fighting off discouragement of mind and spirit today like they've never had to fight it off. And people are having to fight off confusion and disillusionment now like they've never had to fight it off. And so as I see where people are and what people are going through, that I'm struck by a great desire to tell as many people as will listen to me that God is still in the revival business, that God is still able and willing to breathe into your life and into your spirit and bring things back to existence. I like what the psalmist David says in Psalms 138, verse 7. He says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. I don't know what that statement of absolute certainty does for you, but it does my heart a lot of good to hear the psalmist acknowledge that, yes, there's trouble, and I'm surrounded by trouble. There's bad news all around us, and there's trouble on every hand. But even though I'm walking through the midst of trouble, I don't have to be concerned because there's a God with me who's committed to reviving me, that God is able and willing to revive me. God is committed to revival. No wonder David could say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I not only see what's around me, but I know who's with me and I know who's in me and God is able to bring things back into my life. And I like the fact that it's David talking about God being able to revive because by this point in David's life, David's got a testimony. David understands what it means to say that God can revive. David, all he has to do is look at his own life and understand what personal revival is. And David could review his own testimony. And David could understand that if not for personal revival, if not for a God who was able to revive, David's own life story would have been the story of a young man who started off with great promise, a young man who started off doing great exploits, killing lions and bears and giants. But David would have died as a murderer and as an adulterer. But because God God is committed to revival. David was able to overcome his greatest failures, and he was able to live and die as a man after God's own heart. When David says God is able to revive, David knows what he's talking about. You begin to read your Bible and understand that ultimately 
The Bible is a book of revival from Genesis to Revelation. So many examples and instances and promises of God being able to revive. If not for revival, the story of Samson would have been the story of yet another great champion who did great exploits for God, who was known abroad because of what he did for God. But Samson would have died as a laughingstock. Samson would have died in a dungeon as a source of entertainment for the very enemies that he once dominated. But because of personal revival... God was able to restore Samson at the lowest point of his life. And the Bible says he killed more of the enemies in his death than he did in his life. If not for personal revival, the story of Jonah would have been the story of a runaway preacher, a preacher who was running away from his calling and turned his back on the work of God. And Jonah would have died at the bottom of an ocean. But because of personal revival, God sent a vehicle down to pick Jonah up at the lowest point of his life and carry him and deposit him on the shores of his destiny. I don't know who God sent me here to preach to in Webster this evening, but God wants somebody to hear that he's committed to personal revival. God wants somebody to hear that he is able and he is willing to breathe into your life and breathe into your spirit anytime and every time you need a touch from God. My God, my God, my God. God is in the revival business. But I'm convinced that while revival is one of the most important concepts in our Christian walk, and while revival is one of the greatest rights that you and I have as children of God, I'm convinced that revival is also one of the least appreciated or least understood parts in our Christian walk. Because too many times when we talk or think about revival, we reflexively think and talk about revival in the corporate sense. We talk about revival. We talk about revival as the body. We talk about revival services where we come together corporately as a group. And you might get a special speaker or it might be pastor or somebody in-house. But as a group, you come together and there's a commitment to revival. There's a commitment to refocusing. Or we talk about great corporate revival movements where God pours his spirit out over a region or over a city. And we celebrate all acts of corporate revival. I'm thankful for corporate revival. I'm thankful for times when God does something for the entire body. But I'm preaching here this evening that revival. Revival is so much more than just a corporate thing. I'm preaching here that personal revival should be and can be a very regular part of your Christian life. Can I challenge somebody here this evening? When was the last time you took a look in the spiritual mirror and addressed the things that you used to see, the things that you used to feel? When was the last time you took a look in the mirror and said, wait a minute, I don't see the joy that I used to have. Wait a minute, I don't sense the peace that I used to have. I don't see the passion that I used to have. Something has happened. Something is missing. Something has been taken away from my life. Let me remind you this evening that you and I find ourselves in a spiritual battle. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat this. The Bible doesn't hide the nature of our walk. We find ourselves in a very real battle with the very real enemy. And just like in any battle, there's always the risk of injury and the risk of death. And in this battle, sometimes, it's the, unfortunately, it's the entire spirit man that's killed in the battle. So you might even look around greater life this evening. There might be places where people used to sit. But they're no longer sitting in this church or in any church. Something has happened in, the, in this battle. And the enemy has landed a fatal blow. And the entire spirit man has been killed, lost. The good news is that even 
in those situations. Personal revival is available, and personal revival is the remedy. But let me preach to you here this evening that it's not always the entire spirit man that's killed in this battle. And sometimes it's just a certain aspect of the spirit man that you lose in this battle. So you're still in the house of God. You're still walking with God. You're still attempting to do a work with God and have a relationship with God. But there's something that's missing out of your life. There's something that's been killed in the battle. It's not always the entire spirit man that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your confidence that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your joy that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your peace that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your passion that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your burden that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your love for others that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your vision that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your enthusiasm that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's just your confidence in God that you lose in the battle. Sometimes it's the confidence in yourself that you lose in the battle. But God sent me here to preach to somebody. It doesn't matter what you've lost. Revival is the answer. Revival is the remedy. Revival is available. And God is here tonight to breathe into your spirit. What better time than Pentecost Sunday? To experience a breathing, a stirring in your spirit. But how many of us have learned how to live without our joy? We forget that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we're trying to fight this fight without the very strength that God ordained for us to have. How many of us have lost our peace in this battle? We can barely go to bed at night, barely wake up in the morning. But we're still trying to hold on and do a work for God. How many of us? have lost our passion. And we still do a work for God. But now we do it out of a sense of duty and obligation. I'm not here to knock you for that. Because I believe it's commendable that you want to be a person of your word. I believe it's commendable that you feel the obligation of duty and commitment. I believe it's commendable that you say, I've given pastor my word, I've committed to this, And I'm just going to do it no matter what I feel. But I'm here preaching that that's not the plan of God. That's not the desire of God for your life and for your ministry. God desires for that same passion that made you want to be something in the first place. That same passion that made you want to do something in the first place. That same passion that made you want to get involved in the kingdom in the first place. God wants to renew that passion morning by morning and week by week. God wants that passion to be the reason that you come to the house of God. God wants that passion to be the reason that you go to your Sunday school class. God wants that passion to be the reason that you sing every song that you sing and you play every note that you play. God wants that passion to drive you and propel you and motivate you. My God. Revival. Revival. Tell you, I became a bit more passionate about this when I got my own personal revelation that if I could ever just grab a hold of personal revival, for what it really is, the fact that I can bring things back into existence when I lose them in the battle, begin to realize that makes me somewhat indestructible. Become something like those uh, sci-fi comic book heroes that we used to look up to as kids. Somewhat indestructible. How can I lose a battle when should the enemy manage to land a blow and cut something out in my life? I understand 
I don't have to stay that way, but I can bring it right back into existence. How can I lose a battle? Which should the enemy land the blow and cut my joy off? I understand I can go to my prayer closet and I don't have to come out until I feel the joy of God all over again. How can I lose a battle? Which should the enemy cut my ministry out from under me? I understand I can grab the horns of the altar and I don't have to leave until I feel ministry and passion and purpose again. How can I lose a battle? I've come to preach a defiance into somebody's spirit. They say you cut the limbs off of a starfish. You just give it enough time and it'll grow back. You won't even know what happened to it. I wish the spirit of a starfish would grab a hold of somebody here today. And you say, I might be wounded at times. I might be hurt at times. I might be wounded and scarred in this battle, but I don't have to stay that way. I could have the enemy confused when he shows up tomorrow to finish the job off. I don't have to look like the wounds and the scars of yesterday, but I can be whole. I can be ready to engage the enemy all over again. My God. There are two simple laws I believe that you must understand. If radical revival is going to take place, these laws are illustrated beautifully in the passage of scripture that we read. We read where God took Ezekiel up and showed him a valley that was filled with dry bones. The Bible says, and lo, they were very dry. And he took them round about as if God wanted to make sure Ezekiel got a full scope of just how bad, how hopeless, how helpless the situation was. And after God has shown Ezekiel just how bad the situation was, God asked Ezekiel a very important question. And this question speaks directly to what I call the first law of revival, the first hurdle that you're going to have to be able to cross if radical revival is going to take place. God asked Ezekiel simply, can these bones live? first hurdle that you're going to have to be able to overcome if radical revival is going to take place is having a conviction as to the answer of that question. And I tell you here tonight that what I call the first law of revival is very simply this. If it used to live once, it can live again. Period. My God, if it used to live once, if you'll allow God to get involved and do what he wants to do, it can live again. Doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it feels like. It doesn't matter what the enemy says. It doesn't matter what your flesh says. It doesn't matter what everybody else around you says. Hear me when I say that if it used to live once, if you'll allow God to get involved, it can live again. Somebody's got to get a conviction about the first law of revival. If it used to live once, it can live again. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus happens to come across a funeral procession. It's the son of a widow woman who's died, her only son. It's a very difficult thing, no matter the time or place. But in that day and time, it was going to place her in a particularly disadvantaged situation to have lost her husband. And now she's lost her only son. And Jesus comes across this funeral procession. Now, in modern day culture here in America, Whenever we come across a funeral procession, it's our custom that we pull over out of respect and we allow the procession to go through, to go by together uninterrupted. But in that day and time, the culture was different. 
And what they would do in that day and time in that culture was as she went through the village to go bury her son, whoever she came across would join themselves in that funeral procession. And they would help her. They would accompany her and help her carry her son to the place of burial. And so every other man that she would have come across would have joined the procession to go help her bury her son. But I'm so glad that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is not like any other man that you and I will ever come across. Because instead of joining the funeral, Jesus said, wait a minute, stop the funeral. And Jesus spoke life into that young boy. I say all that to tell somebody this. I hear that same voice of Jesus Christ of Nazareth speaking to somebody in Greater Life Church this evening, telling you to stop the funeral. I don't know what it is that you're just about ready to lay down and walk away from. I don't know what it is that you're just about ready to accept. You'll never see again. You'll never do again. And you're just about ready to lay it down and accept that it will never be. But Jesus sent me here to tell somebody to stop the funeral. If it used to live once, it can live again. If it used to live once, he can speak life into it again. My God, stop the funeral. I don't care what the enemy says. Stop the funeral. I don't care what your flesh is screaming. Stop the funeral. I don't care what your eyes are telling you. Stop the funeral. If it used to live once, it can live again. But the reality is, If we're real and honest, the reality is that sometimes it's been dead for so long that we've already had the funeral. We buried it. We walked away. We didn't hear that voice. We buried it and we walked away. You see, that's when it's going to be really difficult to grab a hold and believe this first law of revival. Because many times in life, situations go far beyond just being dead. And sometimes things are dead for so long, so far beyond just being dead, that it's difficult to have enough faith to say with any degree of confidence, I believe it can live again. I'm convinced that if if Jesus, if, if, if God had shown Ezekiel a valley full of freshly killed soldiers, Pastor, if the only problem was that they were dead, if it was just that they were dead, but if they were still intact, If they were still whole, perhaps still bloody, I believe Ezekiel might have had enough faith to say, well, I'm talking to God. So I believe it's possible that it can live again. But by the time God showed Ezekiel the situation, it was so far beyond just being dead that it's difficult to believe that even God can do anything about it. By the time God showed Ezekiel the situation, the question was not, can these soldiers live? Can these men live? But the question was, can these bones live? And it's far more difficult to believe that bones can live than it is to believe that bodies can live. And it's difficult to say, I believe they can live again. But I've come to preach a word of faith into somebody's spirit. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you buried and walked away from but God sent me here to stir up somebody's faith and to believe something my God God. when it's beyond when it's far beyond being dead it's difficult to believe it can live again I'm convinced that if Jesus most of we know the story of Lazarus where they sent for Jesus because Lazarus was sick and Jesus Lazarus died Jesus didn't show up and three days after Lazarus died Jesus finally showed up. I'm personally convinced that if Jesus had shown up maybe five minutes after Lazarus had died, I believe if Lazarus was still laying there 
in the living room and he had just died. I believe that somebody who had seen Jesus open the blinded eyes and unstop the deaf ears and do the impossible. I believe that somebody would have had enough faith to grab Jesus by the hand and rush him into where Lazarus lay and say, perhaps there's still hope. But by the time Jesus showed up, Lazarus had been dead for so long that the first thing out of their mouth was, by now he's stinking. By now he's not just dead, but by now he's so far beyond being dead that not even the Messiah, not even the great healer, not even God himself can do anything about it. And instead of bringing Jesus to where Lazarus was, they try to bring Jesus in and entertain Jesus where they were. It's not that they didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but they had accepted that Lazarus was dead and gone and they would never see their brother again. So instead of taking Jesus to Lazarus, they try to bring Jesus in and entertain Jesus in the living room where they were. But I love the fact that when Jesus got to the house, Jesus said, oh, wait a minute, take me to where you bury Lazarus. I didn't come to be entertained, but I came on a mission and you asked me to come and heal Lazarus. And you might think it's too late for me to heal Lazarus, but when Jesus shows up, he's right on time. When Jesus shows up, anything is possible. He said, take me to where you bury Lazarus and I can speak life into Lazarus. If it used to live once, it can live again. Somebody needs to rise above that whisper. The enemy's whispering to somebody right now that by now it's stinking. By now it's so far beyond being dead that not even the Messiah can do anything for you. But I've come to tell you that if you used to live once, allow him to speak life. I've come that ye might have life and have life more abundantly. Allow him to speak into your spirit. Like, I believe we ought to just take about 15 seconds right now, lift our voices, lift our hands, and say, God, let it be so in my life. Let it be so in my situation. Let it be so in my ministry. Let it be so in my family. If it used to live once, I want it to live again. If I used to believe it once, I want to believe it again. If I used to desire it once, I want to desire it again. It doesn't matter how dead it is. My God. It can live again. Come preaching life to somebody. The enemy's been whispering death and destruction and doom and gloom. But I've come preaching life and purpose and destiny and power. And if it used to live once, it can live again. But that brings us to the second law of revival. Because I'm convinced that this is what determines whether revival is lasting. I got tired myself of what I call revival cycles, where you're on fire and you're revived. That lasts a few months, and then you're back down to where you were until the next revival cycle. And then I begin to pray, God, how do I sustain revival? I don't just want revival to be an experience, a one-time experience. I don't want revival to be an emotional lifting, a spurt of exuberance, a spurt of excitement. But God, I want to live perpetually in the new places that you're trying to take me. And how can I make revival lasting? How can I make revival lasting? And I believe the secret here lies in what I call the second law of revival. Story goes on to how God then told Ezekiel to speak to the bones. It's amazing how God would do that to you sometimes. Make you run the risk of looking and sounding a bit foolish to anybody who might be walking by. What do you mean speaking to dried and scattered bones? But God said, Ezekiel, you speak to the bones. And then when Ezekiel spoke, some things began to happen. 
The Bible says that bones came together, bone to his bone. That's a miracle. Only God could do that. That's supernatural. God taking all the broken and scattered pieces and putting those pieces back together again. And then the Bible says that the muscles and the sinew were formed on top of the skeletons. That's a second miracle. I see that as a recreative miracle. God recreating, God restoring things that was lost in the valley in that situation, a recreative miracle. Then the Bible says that the skin covered the muscles and the sinew. That's a third miracle, a third supernatural act, a third thing that God and only God could do. And I see this as a cosmetic miracle. God covering things up, making things look whole, making things look right, making things look respectable. Anybody looking now, it's whole, it's covered, it looks right. It's a cosmetic miracle. Three miracles, three supernatural acts. But then the Bible goes on and says, but there was no breath in them. Three miracles, but they were still dead. Three miracles, but no revival. The second law of revival is very simply this. It's not revival until it lives again. My God. It's a simple thought, but I believe it's profound. And I believe this is where the key lies, Pastor, to perpetual revival, to lasting revival. Because what happens too often is that we get in a valley situation and we get broken, we get scattered, we lose things, there's decay, there's destruction, and we get in that situation, and then the hand of God begins to move in our life, and God takes those scattered pieces and puts those scattered pieces back together again, and then God does those recreative miracles. God restores the things in our life that we're missing because of the valley situations and the experiences, perhaps even through our own doing, that we got in, and God does those recreative miracles, and then God does those cosmetic miracles. God put makes us look whole and makes us look right and respectable again and it's right about then that the enemy begins to step in and begins to whisper and begins to try to convince us that that's all we should hope for that you ought to be satisfied you ought to be happy you ought to be lucky that god had enough grace to have in your situation you knew the scattered mess that you were and the enemy will begin to convince you that you ought to be satisfied that god has done this much for you and you have no right to believe for anything beyond on the miracles that God has already done in your life. But I've come to preach to somebody. It's not revival until the heart begins to beat again. It's not revival until the blood begins to flow again. It's not revival until you begin to crawl around and find your weapons of warfare. It's not revival until you're standing up on your feet and you've got your sword back and you've got your shield back. It's not revival until you're everything that you were before you got in the valley in the first place. That's what revival Bible is when God brings you all the way back. My God, my God, he out of God. Somebody hear what I'm saying. The next time the enemy says that you don't deserve to have God breathe on you, you want to agree with him. Yes, you're right. I don't deserve to have God breathe on me. Yes, you're right. I don't deserve to have God do anything more than what he's already done. But it's, it's his good pleasure to breathe into my life. It's his good pleasure to complete the work of revival. It's his good pleasure to restore me completely to the man or to the woman that I was. My God, my God, hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. Too many people settle for the miracles. 
My God, he, she, too many people settle for the miracles. They settle for what God has done and putting them back together again. But I submit to you this evening that a valley full of well put together dead bodies is no better than a valley full of scattered dry bones. As a matter of fact, a valley full of well put together dead bodies is only a matter of time away from once again becoming a valley full of dry bones. And that's how we get in this cycle where God does the work and God puts us back together again. But we lay there on that valley floor until we begin to decay. And, and if, if you don't allow God to do the greater work, if you don't allow God to breathe into your life and restore life, the moment he puts you back together again, the decaying process begins immediately. And it might take weeks. It might take days. It might take months. But you'll lay right there in that same valley until you fall apart and you're right where you were. But somebody hear what I'm saying. I know we don't deserve it. I know we haven't earned it, but God's not finished with you until you allow him to breathe into your life and you're able to stand up and walk out of that valley once and for all and say, I'm never coming back to this place. I'm never coming back to this valley. I'm never coming back to this circumstance. I'm going somewhere new. My life has been changed. My God. My God. My God. The enemy has someone convinced that all you can hope for is respectability again, wholeness again. But I'm preaching not to settle for the miracles. God wants to restore you, revive you to your original purpose, your original identity. Somebody's testimony might be, I'm no longer strung out on drugs or alcohol. That's a miracle. I'm healed in my body. That's a miracle. I'm no longer a scattered mess. That's a miracle. My life has been put back together again. That's a miracle. But God is speaking to somebody right now and telling you after I've pulled all those broken pieces back together again, after I've recreated the things in your life that you lost in the valley and that you know that you've lost, and after I've covered you up and made you whole again, I am not finished, but there's a greater miracle that I need to perform. I want to breathe into you again so you can be everything that you ever were, so you can feel everything that you've ever felt, so you can dance again, so you can smile again, so you can dream again so you can walk again so you can mount up on wings like an eagle again that's what revival is I wish this story had continued to where those who had been slain in battle and were now whole exceedingly great again I wish the story had continued to where these were able to walk back home go back walk down the streets of their hometowns and knock on the doors their homes, their friends. I can imagine people scratching their heads, wondering, trying to figure out what happened. I know for a fact that you died. I was there when the enemy landed the fatal blow. It hurt us, but it hurt me to do it. But I know for a fact that I left you for dead in the valley. How is it possible that you now stand whole? looking the way you looked before you went into battle in the first place. Say all that to say this, that you can leave this house tonight in such a way where you can have people scratching their heads, trying to figure out what happened at greater life. Trying to figure out what happened at greater life on this night. 
I thought for sure you were dead. I heard for sure you were dead. I didn't think I'd ever hear you sing that song like that ever again. I didn't think I'd ever hear you tell that testimony like that ever again. I didn't think I'd ever see you get wild and witness like that ever again. I didn't think I'd ever see you lift holy hands without wrath or doubting like that ever again. I didn't think I'd ever see you weep in the Shekinah glory of God like that ever again. I didn't think I'd ever see you so consumed and so filled with passion and purpose like that ever again. What has happened? How can you explain what has happened? My God. Musicians can come. Musicians can come. In order for these soldiers to leave that valley as an exceedingly great army, that means they came into that valley as an exceedingly great army. That lets me know two simple things. First, even the exceedingly great Even the strong among us will have valley experiences and experience loss and decay in the valley. It's not a function of being weak. It's a function of being human that even the exceedingly great among us will have valley experiences and need the hand of God to put some things back together and breathe into our lives. Even the exceedingly great. But the second thing it lets me know, they went in that valley as a great army. They came out as a great army. The second thing it lets me know is that whenever true revival takes place, God restores everything. You leave that valley with everything that you came into that valley with. But you also leave with something that you can only get in the valley. And that's a testimony. And can you imagine the testimony? Can you imagine the testimony of one of those soldiers saying, I know for a fact that I died in that valley. I clearly remember the enemy standing above me in victory, landing the fatal blow. I could feel the lifeblood leaving my body. I lay on the floor of that valley, and I remember the sun fading away. I know for a fact that I died in that valley. I can't explain what happened, but all of a sudden, I heard a voice say, breathe, wind, breathe on these slain that they may live. And the next thing I knew, I was whole again. The next thing I knew, I had my weapons back. The next thing I knew, I had my identity, my purpose back. The next thing I knew, I was the man, I was the woman that I was before I got in that valley in the first place. Can you imagine the testimony? As a matter of fact, a testimony like that is so powerful that you no longer have to give your testimony, but you yourself become a testimony. You yourself become a testimony. And all you have to do is walk into a building. All you have to do is walk into church. All you have to do is walk into your home. You don't have to say a word. People take one look at you, and you're everything that you used to be. People take one look at you, and they know what you've been through, but you've got your joy back. You've got your peace back. You've got your passion back. You've got your ministry back. You've got everything back. And they take one look at you and they say, yes, God is faithful. Yes, God is a healer. Yes, God is a reviver. Yes, God is a restorer. You become a walking testimony. You become a walking testimony. And that spirit of revival, that spirit of revival is in this house today. You become a testimony that can reach people in ways that words can never reach people. You become a testimony 
I was lost. I was desperate. I was hopeless. I was confused. I was battered. I was bruised. There was no joy, no peace, no purpose, no passion, no vision. But look at me now. Look at me now. Read my life. Read my countenance. Look at me now, my God. Look at me now. Look what God has done. Look at the supernatural. Look how God has breathed into my spirit. My God, my God, something's happening in this house. Something's happening in this house. Can we stand all over this building? My God, those soldiers, those soldiers in the valley, they had their lives taken violently by the hands of an enemy. They were killed in battle. Lazarus, on the other hand, Lazarus was not in any battle. Lazarus wasn't killed by any soldiers. Lazarus just got sick and died. It was just life. He just got sick and just succumbed to life. God sent me here to preach to somebody. It doesn't matter how you've lost what you've lost. Whether it was violently by the hands of an enemy or whether it was just life, the cares of life. It just, you just succumbed in some areas. It doesn't matter how you lost what you lost. God sent me here to tell somebody that there's a remedy. God sent me here to tell somebody that if they used to live once, you don't have to leave here until it lives again. If you used to believe it once, you don't have to leave here until you believe it again. If you used to feel it once, you don't have to leave here until you feel it again. But he also wants somebody to know that he's not done with you until you live again. Somebody needs to go beyond the miracle level. Somebody needs to go beyond God putting your life back together again. And somebody on this Pentecost Sunday needs to allow the winds to blow and allow God to breathe into your spirit so you can be the man that you used to be. So you can be the lady that you desire to be. And let that happen right now. These altars are open. These altars are open right now. Make your way down to these altars and say, breathe into my spirit, God. Breathe into my life, God. Breathe into my heart, God. Let me be what you want me to be. Let me be what you want me to be. Let me have life and life more abundantly. I want to live. I want to live.